All right, Trustee Jensen, I believe we're ready when you are. Great. Um, thank you, everyone. Uh, we're here at the Board of Trustees meeting, and um, I'm going to be chairing the meeting because our chair, Taft, Bukat, Dr. Bukat, is, is out of the office today. So um, with that, could we have a roll call, please, Rana? Trustee Banerjee. <clears throat> Trustee Blue. Here. Sorry. Trustee Here. Chapman. Here. Trustee Fox. Here. Trustee Friedman. Here. Trustee Jensen. Here. And Trustee Splendoria. Here. Trustees Bouquet and Esteen are excused, but we do have a quorum. Thank you. Thank you, Rana. Um, so tonight we um, will have two public commenters, I believe. And I'm going back and forth. So um, our first public, are they in order? Would you? Um, I know you sent it to me. Hang on for a sec. So yeah, we have two. I, oh, I can announce them if you would like. So, so if that would be helpful. Two public comments. No, I, I have it. Thank you. Um, okay. Our first commenter is, they're both on the line. Is that correct? Do we have do we have both of them here? I believe we do have yes, we have both of them. I see them both. Okay. Uh, let's see. So the first speaker tonight will be Dr. Rami Bishai. Dr. Bishai. Hey, I'm here. Can you guys hear me? Yes. Thank you. Okay. Um, um, good evening, HS trustees. My name is Rami Bishai. I am um, a resident physician here at Highlands and an elected leader uh, of our union CIR. So the past two years have been challenging and unprecedented period in the history of AHS and country. And as of May, 2022, while COVID cases are rising again, we are hopeful and optimistic that the worst of the pandemic is behind us, fingers crossed. We want to take this moment to reflect on the extraordinary amount of work done and commitment by us, the resident physicians, across the internal medicine, emergency medicine, and oral maxillofacial surgery residency programs at Highland Hospital. As resident physicians, we passionately responded to the pandemic, being at the front line, taking care of many sick patients since the beginning of the pandemic and before the rollout of vaccines and established standards of care for management of COVID-related illnesses. In doing so, we provide incredible quality of care to our most vulnerable and underserved patients at the significant cost of our own health and well-being, both physically and mentally. Many of us have become sick with COVID while caring for our patients and subsequently, unfortunately, spread it to our loved ones at home. We, as resident physicians across the IM, internal medicine, emergency medicine, and oral maxillofacial surgery resident programs, are collectively asking AHS to provide a $5,000 hazard payment to all current residents. While AHS cannot fully make up for the loss of critical parts of our training or prevent the past COVID exposures that cause many residents to take extended sick leave, but AHS can and should appropriately compensate our resident physicians for the sacrifices that we've made. Many other hospital systems have recognized this and offered financial compensation to residents in the way of hazard payment, 
by extending the same to us, EHS has the opportunity to demonstrate this same recognition. Yesterday, we delivered a petition to this effect and signed by 85% of our members. We're requesting a response and a meeting to discuss hazard pay by June 16th. Thank you for the opportunity to speak. Thank you so much. Thank you for your comments, Dr. Rashni. I'm sure that we will um, take those comments into consideration. And again, thank you so much for the work, all the, the work that you do and all of the residents and providers at AHS. It's, it's incredible and you're absolutely right. We've, you, you do it every day and you do it so well and so selflessly. The next speaker tonight is Dr. Daniel Mantuani. Thank you. Uh, I've been an ER physician at Highland Hospital since 2007, and I'd like to speak today on the topic of gun violence. Uh, for years, our complacence brought us to the point where weeks like this uh, have become the new normal, and we have the opportunity to make a larger statement as a health system to intentionally avoid industries that contribute to the morbidity and mortality of our patients. Together, let's finally end AHS's backdoor financial support of the civilian firearms industry through our pensions and retirement accounts. At EBMG, most of us are former Oak Care employees, where for two decades, we had unrestricted Schwab PCRA accounts, allowing us to invest in any individual stock, ETF, or publicly traded mutual fund or bond. As AHS employees two years ago, we lost this basic right and went from having unlimited investment options to only 32 funds, chosen by Prudential and RIC, Retirement Investment Committee. Since Prudential will not provide a complete list of the holdings in these funds, two years ago, we conducted an audit using Morningstar reports and discovered widespread investments in private firearms, tobacco, private prisons, fossil fuel, and deforestation industries. These findings were presented to the RIC and the Board of Trustees. With unanimous support from the leadership officers from both SEIU AHS 1021 and CIR SEIU interns and residents, last November, we asked the RSC to restore our unrestricted Schwab accounts. However, they would not even allow any dialogue from non-RIC members during the meeting. We silently listened as observers as multiple members of the RIC made condescending and derogatory statements about how we and the quote rank and file employees could not be trusted to manage and invest our own money, despite what we've been doing for the past two decades. How can the RIC feel so comfortable publicly disrespecting the frontline workers who are the backbone of this organization? The meeting concluded with the RIC only granting limited PCRA accounts that for an additional fee that we must pay expands the number of limited mutual funds that we can invest in. This is not what we asked for. So far, only one employee has enrolled in this unpopular compromise. There is still no transparency in how our retirement investment uh, dollars are being invested. And a recent re-audit after the latest shootings of a Prudential Fund shows that just under one quarter still invests in civilian firearms, including Stern Ruger and Corp, which is the maker of the assault rifle, the AR-556. Why does AHS continue to keep civilian firearms and assault weapons in our portfolio? Does the public knowledge of AHS physicians profiting from gun manufacturers, tobacco, and prisons help us engender trust and get reluctant members of the community to engage in healthcare? No, it fulfills the narrative that we are exploiting and profiting off the misery and sickness. I need 30 more seconds. 
We asked the board to help us to realize one, that we'd be given a complete list of company holdings for each of our 32 chosen mutual funds, not just being told to Google it. Two, um, that mutual funds holding the most egregious investments for healthcare providers, civilian firearms, tobacco, private prisons be dropped immediately. And three, ultimately the restoration of the unlimited Schwab PCR accounts that most of us had under the past two decades. Let's have AHS live up to its mission statement, become leaders in this arena, divesting from civilian firearms and tobacco. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Montrani. And um, I, I think that your um, comments are very appropriate too. And we will look at those issues in the investment committee and through the, the financial um, systems of Alameda Health System. Thank you. Ron, are there any other commenters tonight? I don't have any more, thank you. No, thank you. Um, the next item on our agenda is the um, executive officer's report. And I am the only executive officer here. There were some articles that um, had been included in the agenda packet, the article. And of course, these articles are, are profound and thoughtful and, and definitely worth discussion. So I would ask the trustees if anyone would like to weigh in. Um, on the first article the, from the PBS NewsHour. And um, I can go. Um, thanks. Yeah, I, th I think uh, I'm so glad there were two because the first one talked about, you know, extra guards and like what, what kind of security that we do. And I know that even as we, um, our CEO, uh, Mr. Jackson, was uh, making a, uh, the you know a statement of AHS. A big part of that was like, what are we doing to prevent and to educate and for gun safety and for um, you know to advocate strongly for um, laws um and in, in every element so i i it is i don't know folks heard um the pediatrician from ubaldi who spoke yesterday when he said the docs are doing their duty and our lawmakers have to do theirs so again the pressure for us as an anchor institution as some as an institution that's embedded and a partner in our community um we do more than just treat people at a trauma, one level trauma, we have an obligation to be working okay. against it in every sphere of our influence. I'll stop there. Thank you. Thank you, Trustee Dennergy. Absolutely, those comments are very well, well taken. I'm um, looking around for other comments or trustee input or... Um, Glenn Splendorio, Trustee Splendorio. Yeah, I thought I saw your hand, sorry. Um, that article and, and the other article as well was, was also, you know, had a little bit different points about the AMA's position. And I, I couldn't agree more with both of the articles. My, um, my thoughts are, of course, we know that this isn't, a, a, gun violence is a huge issue, it's a huge, huge issue for physicians and hospitals and all healthcare providers, mental health care providers as well. And it has not been treated, unfortunately, as a public health, there's been no public health dollars spent on it since the 1990s. That was when 
basically um, the federal government said that we're not going to look at gun violence as a public health issue. And that's wrong. It is a public health issue. And it needs to be it needs to be addressed through through many avenues, through uh, through in, improving and tightening restrictions, but also through addressing the public health challenges for for many of the unfortunately many of the, the those who commit gun violence and as well as all of the, those who suffer from the effects of gun violence. I um, just want to close unless anyone else has comments about these articles. I wanted to um, close by sharing something that was in the, uh, the Chronicle, the San Francisco Chronicle last weekend. Um, and it was it was the editorial from Dr. Nicole Webb, the Vice President of the American Academy of Pediatrics, California. And it was quite a long editorial. I won't go into it, but she she says this, this specifically, and, it, and it's absolutely right. And this, you know, the takeaway in 2021, guns surpassed motor vehicle collisions as the leading cause of death of American children. Not COVID, not cancer, not birth defects or anything else, guns. In other words, the number one killer of kids today is something that is 100% preventable, but there's no reason to think that the violence will stop unless there is action. So with that, I would move on. We will now go into- Trustee Jensen, Trustee Blue has her hand up. I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. sorry, Louisa. I'm sorry, Louisa, please, please share. Other icons hide the hands up. So I'm glad the physicians brought this up, right? But, um, and Ahmad, just tell me if I'm out of line here, but this is all about political will. We can solve this. Elected officials can solve this, but there's no political will. And so we just had primary elections. Elections are coming up in November. I think we need to take a look at that, right? But that's all I have to add because there is, we got to push for political will here because how many more kids are going to get killed? My grandchildren have grown up with gun violence. It's like a, it's like normal. It's become normal, right? And kids should not grow up that way. And then for healthcare workers, we have enough, you know, work to do, taking care of our patients. And now we got to worry about whether or not we're going to get shot, right? So anyway, that's all I have to say. Thank you, Trustee Blue. You're it's it's you're absolutely right. Children shouldn't be dying from guns. Something that's preventable. Trustee Fox. Well, just to second what Trustee Blue said, I think the number one responsibility of government is to protect its citizens. And our government has proved that they can't do that. And so we need to do whatever we can to get people in positions of power and decision-making that are more willing to do it than the crowd we have now. Thank you. With that, we'll end this agenda item and we'll go on to the CEO report. Unless I missed anybody, Ronnie, please step in if I don't see a hand, thanks. I will, thank you. James, um, Mr. Jackson. Yes, thank you very much, uh, Chair Jensen and trustees and assembled staff and visitors. I'm happy to present a brief CEO board report and happy to take questions at the end. I will share my screen now. Trustee Jensen, are you able to see my screen? Yes. 
Yeah. Good. Okay. Great. Okay. Um, let's dive in. I am using the new pillars of the organization. And again, our pillars are sustainability, quality care, staff and physician experience, and community connection um, with HETI, as well as staff and clinician contributions in the ring, which is around it. And so um, my presentation will be in that format. And so starting with the community connection and consistent with some of the things that we've just discussed, um, this is a, a summation of the memo that went out um, last week in regards to gun violence at the Tulsa Medical Facility and some of the um, actions that we are looking to take at AHS. I am mindful of the conversation that we just had. I concur with the sentiments expressed both by the public comments as well as by the trustees. Um, I think we need to do, we need more than um, thoughts and prayers. And so we have um, the opportunity. I really appreciated Trustee Blue's uh, comments as well as Trustee Fox, because we need to make our will known. And, um, and so I, I hope that we can uh, work together to be uh, proactive in trying to address this epidemic. Again, in the spirit of um, the community connection, I just wanna quickly recap the Soul of Spring event that took place uh, recently. It was on the 21st of May um, near the, it was at the Bay Bridge um, facility and it was quite wonderful. Um, my kudos to the staff of the foundation for pulling that together. And it was really wonderful to bring um, staff and supporters and our just our community back together um, in a venue that was very conducive. And I think people had a very good time as evidenced by this cast of characters. Um, and this is just a small sampling of the chicanery that was taking place that evening. But um, we had an opportunity to honor a former board member, uh, Dan Bogan. Also, um, Dr. Stephen Chen, a former physician with our organization who is the founder and the medical director of Recipe for Health and um, uh, his organization for their work in our community. So a good time was had by all. Moving to sustainability. Um, I want to just take a quick moment. We're going to go into our financials in much more depth with um, our CFO, Kim Miranda, shortly. But I wanted to talk about um, something that is frequently on the minds of our trustees and our executives, and that is our, our financial position in regards to the net negative balance. And so this is a document, and also our net income. This is a document that was prepared by our finance team, and I thought it was very interesting, and I, I certainly won't... Um, go into chapter and verse, but there are a few highlights that I'd wanna pull out. The net negative balance that is um, projected, it's forecast at the bottom of the screen here, um, is the best in the history of the organization. And it's only the second time in the past 24 years that it's been positive. Um, and it's significantly po more positive than the last time in 2001. Um, this organization has had a positive net income only 11 times out of the past 24 years, which works out to about 46% of the time. And the largest positive net income prior to this year was in 1999, when the organization made just over $19 million. And uh, so right now we're looking at 2022, representing the largest net income in the history of the organization. Um, so this, there are a lot of factors that go into this. 
Um, Kim would be the, our CFO, Kim Miranda would be the first to tell you, a lot of it is due to one-time funding um, um, realizations due to COVID funds that came in. But that said, there are a number of operational changes that took place that I think contributed greatly to this and bode well for the future. And you will hear more about that in the budget presentation that's coming up. Um, moving to the, the trust pillar, um, I just wanted to quickly provide an update on the CEO rounding and um, you can see the, the numbers here. And I wanted to just share a quick story about rounding because as I've said before, half the time it's people who have a complaint, have an issue and they want me to facilitate a solution. But a lot of the time it's people who just wanna tell me about themselves and what they do and what their hopes and aspirations are. And recently at Hayward Wellness, I had the opportunity to speak to a young man who um, envisions a future as a healthcare administrator, which, you know, frankly warmed my heart. And um, I had the opportunity to provide some, you know, real-time mentoring for him then. And subsequent to that, I came across um, a program at UC Berkeley, which is my alma mater, the School of Public Health, that has, um, there's a significant amount of funding. Blue Shield has um, committed um, multi-millions of dollars over the next the next few years to increasing diversity in the healthcare administration workforce, and UC Berkeley is going to be a part of that. And so I was able to push that information to him. And so um, had I not met him during rounding, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to provide him with a little bit of guidance and also to make this opportunity known to him. And I, I think that's, for me, um, part of the real value of this rounding process that I and the rest of the executive team have undertaken, really creating um, strong connections um, with the staff of the organization and finding opportunities for synergies and to, to help each other. Um, this is a, just a quick shot. You've seen my, my walking photos previously. We went on the 14th of May, had a, a small but mighty group. And it was really just a lot of fun to get out on a beautiful day and to get to know staff a little bit better. And so um, I urge you all to, to join us if you have the opportunity for a subsequent walks. Um, we will be at San Leandro Marina weekend after next. And so not this coming weekend, but the following one will be at the San Leandro Marina. And I, I hope that um, all of you will take the opportunity to join us. Moving to quality care, um, I wanna just um, brag a little bit about the work that the post-acute team is doing under the leadership of Richard Espinoza. Um, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, also known as CMS, um, track vaccination data. And for our facilities, as you can see from this slide, we are significantly ahead um, of most of the organizations in the country. And so for residents vaccinations, and again, this is over on the island of Alameda, our resident vaccination rate is at 92.1. You can see the national average is 87.9. The California average is 89.9 and so on down the list. But you can see that our facilities in Alameda are consistently ahead of the national as well as the state averages. And uh, moving on, this is for Fairmont and their performance is even more stellar, um, significantly ahead of both the state as well as the nation. And so I just really want to extend kudos to the post-acute team for what they're doing to make our staff and our residents at our post-acute care facilities safe. On the 1st of June, the Joint Commission came to Alameda Hospital for their triannual survey. And it's interesting because 
they did it in a, a bifurcated manner, which is something new. It's a function, I believe, of, of COVID. Um, and I have on the call this evening, Anna Torres, who is our leader of quality and risk to answer any questions that I might not be able to, but these are the preliminary results from the administrative component. The facilities component will follow, but the administrators were there for a number of days last week, and these are the, the preliminary results. They were very clear with us that their findings could be changed by the Joint Commission Central Office um, after review, but they gave us the benefit of seeing what their preliminary results were. You can see that there was only one finding that was considered to be um, in the high category, and that was pertaining to, um, on the next slide, you'll see um, PC02-TAC01-TAC01 is pertaining to blood transfusions and intravenous medications. And um, there was an issue with an informed consent that was not given to a patient. That's the only one that fell into the high category. There were a few in the moderate and then one in the low, which you will see on this slide here. So all in all, we thought it was a, a very good survey. Um, something that was a bit of a surprise, but we were well prepared. The surveyors asked what we were doing in regards to health equity, diversity, and inclusion. They opened at the conference and said they wanted to hear from us what the work that we were doing. So it was with great pride that in the session in the following day, we walked them through um, how we've integrated HETI into our strategic plan. Um, and I mentioned earlier how it's in the ring because it infuses everything that we do. It's who we are. Um, uh, the comment that they made at the out brief was they felt that we were um, essentially setting the standard for this type of work. And they asked if that we had, if they could have our permission to share our heady um, work as it pertained to our strategic plan with the Joint Commission so that it could be a, a best uh, standard to be shared with other organizations. And so we were quite proud um, to say yes and to give them access to those materials. Um, um, imitation is the most sincere form of flattery in my opinion. So very happy about that. This slide pertains to the next steps that we will be taking as a result of the survey. Um, I won't read it to you, but I'm happy to acknowledge that there were not dramatic pieces of work that had to be done. Something else I will acknowledge, um, we have had equipment sterilization issues at Alameda Hospital for some months. Um, Mark Brown and his team have been working, uh, doing a yeoman's job trying to address that. And that was acknowledged by the surveyors. They noted that we had problems there, but they actually scored them lower than they might have, specifically because they saw the work that we'd done and they felt like the process that had been installed really mitigated any risk. And so they did not feel that it rose to the level that it might otherwise. Um, they did offer the caveat that it's possible that the folks in Chicago at Joint Commission Headquarters may move that back up to the higher level, but their recommendation was that it not be moved up by virtue of the work that the team was doing and was able to document to them. So I was very pleased with that. And again, kudos to the infection control team and uh, Mark Brown and the SPD team. Moving to staff and patient experience. Um, this is just an update um, and I won't read the slide to you, but you can see that we continue to have a very high percentage of staff who are fully vaccinated um, a relatively small number of unvaccinated staff, and many of them are on leave of absence and would be required to become vaccinated prior to returning to work. And you will note that now 96%, we've been at 95% having boosted, uh, received boosters. Um, we're now at 96%, so it's gone up slightly. 
And um, we are offering the second booster to employees, but only as patients, because it is not required at this time. And so it's not something that we can mandate, but it's being offered to those who meet criteria and are interested and willing to receive the second vaccination, second booster vaccination. This is something that I'm really proud about and I have to look to our trustees. Um, I love the fact that we have such an engaged and invested uh, board of trustees and we receive this information about California for Health from trustee Banerjee uh, some weeks ago. And so we have um, taken this challenge. We have a number of staff who are participating and it's something that we are going to be integrating into our daily life over the next few weeks at the organization. So again, my thanks to Trustee Banerjee, who also sits on the on the heady committee um, of the organization. Um, this is this is who we are, and this is what we do. And with that, I will stop. And I'm happy to take any questions and to draw on my colleagues who are better versed than me, if necessary. So, trustees, any questions? Um. James, thank you for your report. I, I appreciate that you're bragging about post-acute care and they definitely are awesome, but <clears throat> I, I think you also, although you didn't, you should should take, you should brag and you should take some credit for um, the job with doing, that you've been doing with the net negative balance. It's operational changes, absolutely, as you mentioned, and also uh, it's improved fiscal stewardship. So. That's important and that's um, something that you deserve credit for and your, your, you and your managers and Kimberly Miranda. So thank you for that. And um, any comments about the CEO report from um, trustees? I'm trying to look for hands, but I might miss them. Okay, if I don't see any hands, then we will move on to the, um, I think it's the medical staff reports. I'm looking at my agenda here. Thank you, Chair uh, Jensen. Medical staff reports. Um, and we can start with my hometown hospital. How about um, Dr. Joshi from Alameda Hospital? Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me here this evening. Um, my report is in the packet. Um, Want to start by saying, that uh, we appreciate the new MIDA system that is being created for safety alerts. It's going to allow for integration from EPIC to enter MIDA safety alerts. So it'll be more efficient. There'll be a lot of auto-filling of information, which will avoid inaccurate information and allow the person putting the safety alert to get to the heart of why the safety alert is being written in the first place. So really getting to the information of what we really want. I really wanna highlight that we now have a nursing quality council, which is really great, important for patient safety. Um, one of the things that we are proud of at Alameda Hospital is that for several months now, we've had a pretty robust interdisciplinary sepsis committee meeting on a monthly basis, looking at the data with the quality team, but also involving pharmacy and lab and nurse leaders to look at fallouts and how we can improve. Fallouts means anytime we don't meet a metric that is um, required by CMS. And we are actually in the process of turning this meeting into a joint meeting to include San Leandro so that we are more efficient and really translating quality patient care across our system. Um, operations, we continue to have challenges with the COVID surge. It's really impacted staffing, uh, but we have had good communication on a regular basis with our nurse leaders to strategize about what we can do to address this. These meetings 
are also interdisciplinary and include our advanced practice providers, the clinicians and the nurse leaders. So we're having good dialogue, even if uh, things are really challenging. But for a while, our echocardiographic coverage was a challenge and that has significantly improved. Towards the end of May, we're back to regular staffing. And we continue to work with Huron um, for transfer center workflow optimization. In fact, we just had a meeting with Huron today. So we continue to work with them to get our pathway, if a particular patient has a particular pathology, how to move them to the place in the system that they will be best served by the consultants available. Um, our strengths, we had a presentation by Dr. Reznor and her team providing system-wide CME, continuous medical education. She's fantastic, creative, and always looking for innovative ways to allow for the clinicians to get CME for the education that we are already providing at AHS. So that just takes what we do to another level. Another strength is that the pain service, as you all know from Dr. Williams, has moved to San Leandro, but it has allowed for Alameda Hospital operating room to allow other surgeons to be able to expand into the availability and create for more robust scheduling across the system again for our surgeons and our surgical subspecialties. Opportunities, uh, we're continuing to work with our uh, vendors on ways that we can improve how equipment is ordered, maintained, delivered, um, I know that I personally have been working very closely with Mario Harding on this, and I appreciate that. Again, to make it system-wide as Mario oversees both Alameda and San Leandro. Um, let's see, we are uh, in July going to be starting our professional standards committee training. This will also be across the system and involve both med staff. So we're happy with that. Um, some concerns is the global contrast media shortage. So. The COVID surge particularly hit uh, China Har, Shanghai in particular, where contrast is made by GE. And a few weeks ago, a very robust team of pharmacy, radiology, frontline staff got together to one inventory for the amount of contrast that we had available in our system, knowing that our shipment had significantly decreased. And then we thought of creative ways that we could stretch our supply until this GE operation can resume. The operation in Shanghai has resumed. They're not back up to 100% yet, but because of this collaborative effort of reducing our usage while still making sure our patients are safe, we have stretched out our current inventory. And our literally daily tracking can only be done because of the dedication of our pharmacy and radiology team. Um, we, um, you know, um, another concern is the 2030 size requirements, which we are all following closely and consultants and access to subspecialists. I often have this bullet point, uh, but I do wanna highlight in particular that uh, neurology is one area that I know that we are looking at closely. Uh, back in 2021, January, we launched teleneurology across the system, but of course has great impact at Alameda Hospital because we are a stroke center. Uh, we've found some gaps and we found some opportunities and we're working closely with Dr. Gaines, who is the head of neurology, to look at innovative, innovative ways that we can continue to provide neurology service across the system, take advantage of telemedicine, but also is there a role for a hybrid? So he's doing a lot of hard work with Dr. Tornabeni in that regard, and I look forward to seeing what they can come up with. And I know that um, what they end up coming up with will be good and in, in keeping patient care in the focus. And that's the conclusion of my report.
Thank you, Dr. Joshi. And that was very interesting. I look forward to hearing more about the neurology opportunities in neurology and um, about, uh, thank you for your work to track and, and your attention to the imaging supplies. That's something that I'm sure is just, you know, something that is necessary, but it's probably may not be always considered when, when um, as it should be. And as we all know, the supply chain is, is a challenge right now. And of course, that, that's something that we need to be paying attention. Yeah, it is um, very tricky actually to find. I mean, literally we're looking for little bottles stored in cabinets. So um, the pharmacy team and the radiology team really, they did an incredible job there. Well, infant formula and contrast media, I guess, right? If there are there any um, anybody comments for Dr. Joshi or questions? Okay. Um, not, uh, oh, can you? Yeah, I, I wanted to say convey my gratitude to the staff over there. I know how hard you've been preparing for the survey, and to have been there. So just a lot of work that went into it, and to find these findings and some of the corrective plans that were happening right at. In, the, in real time also shows um, the dedication of the folks. Um, so thank, uh, please thank them um, on my behalf as well. And um, the biomed equipment, this is something you brought up last month as well. So can you tell me a little bit about like what progress has been made on, on that front from last month to this month? So I can tell you what I have learned myself, and I know that Mark Amy's team is doing a lot of the bulk of the work there. Um, so what we have done, I met along with nursing leadership with our representatives from Agility to understand what is our workflow, what can we expect, how can we communicate. They are currently about to launch a autoscope repair project where they're going to be going through the Alameda ED room by room uh, and repairing autoscopes and ophthalmoscopes. So that's a good thing. But what I'm hoping really more than that is a longitudinal understanding of what we can expect from them. Because my main concern is not when equipment is broken, but when equipment is about to break. And so I want us to be more proactive. And I think having a relationship where they come on a regular basis and help us identify about to break equipment, because that's not our skill set. That's what I'm looking forward to. Thank you. And like you said, we um, we know that the fiscal state that we have is due to this kind of, you know, a lot of uh, functions, both operational, but also some of these one-time funds that have come. But given where we are, like having these kinds of inventory that are more forward-looking than always in response is really good to be doing. So thank, thank yeah. you for that. And again, Two things that I feel um, wanted to lift up again, the sepsis work that you're doing, again, interdisciplinary work with that, as well as the pain management, that's good. And hopefully, you know, it will be across all three um, sites, um, it, both, you know, with the core as well. So good to hear about those happening. And I see um, that Mr. Fratsky has a comment, but before I, I, I go to you, Mark, um, I just want to thank Trustee Banerjee. It's great to hear that the Joint Commission is, is interested in, in, in considering and, and, and viewing our heady work as a, um, as a model. And I think that's due to your leadership, Kinkini. So thank you for, for yeah, all uh, you've done with yeah, that. It is. 
credit to me. It's the folks over there who've been doing um, the work really very quietly, but they do it. And I think that what we need to do is now that it's a ring, we need to really have this on at the full board meeting to hear what they're doing because to actually actualize it across all the systems is much harder. So we still, I think it, the plans are really great on paper and things happen. And even with the steering committee, we know that it's hard for people to make time to come in for all of those meetings. So we hope, and we know the joint commission, it's not just this hospital, wherever they are going, the first things they're asking is what are you doing for health equity? So we see where, their priorities are and I think we have to like we're doing great and we can do you know across the board better uh, folks like subacute just um, uh, our post acute thank you again for folks who like show that every day Mark I was just going to make a quick comment about biomed we now have a biomed 10-year plan um, with year one being this coming year where we've identified all of the equipment across our organization and when end of life is, or when it becomes like we think it's gonna break. And this next year in our $30 million, $32 million capital budget, we have 12 million budgeted just for end of life equipment replacement to try to be proactive. So Dr. Joshi and our clinicians don't get in situations where their equipment is broke or it breaks when they're using it or whatever it may be. So, you know, we're eventually going to have everything replaced um, with this schedule. Thank you. That's great news. Uh, any other comments on Dr. Joshi's report? Uh, seeing none, then um, let's see. Then we can go to... Dr. Williams for the- I'm, I'm filling in for Dr. Williams tonight. Oh, hi, Dr. Bush. Yeah, Brandon Besh. Um, uh, so um, thanks for having me. And I just wanted to congrats Alameda and especially the medical staff, Nikki, um, uh, Dr. Catherine Pune and Satira Dalton for having no findings from the Joint Commission. So <clears throat> congratulations um, for the medical staff too. Um, I got a shout out my colleagues over there. And so um, I think uh, I'm going to focus on a few things. I think COVID has been a challenge. Unfortunately, I talked to you in, <clears throat> excuse me, I talked to you in November and I said uh, the last time, and I said the physicians and the frontline staff are burnt out from COVID. <laughs> and now um, I'm coming back to you and there's two more surges that we've had. Um, so it's been, it's been really rough. And, uh, and I just want to say, as someone that just got off of a week of wards, um, I think people are tired and, um, and we're trying our best and we're doing our best and we're still providing amazing care. Um, but there are many things that we need help with. And I think the biggest one that we need to keep bringing to the forefront is throughput, um, especially at Highland Hospital. Um, we are still struggling with this. Every day, the emergency department is struggling um, with the number of patients in, in that area. We're working closely with Huron around this. Um, you heard a little bit about transfers with Nikki Joshi um, and some other, uh, some other items such as um, changing care management rounds, making rounds at the bedside, working with our post-acute. Um, and some of that stuff is starting to happen. And so I'm hopeful that this will begin to change. 
But I also want to be proactive and recognize that there's more surges, there's more things that are going to come, and there's more things that are going to happen that we need to be adaptable for. And we're not there yet. And I think we need to continue working on that. And I really ask the board and our administration um, who have been super supportive. I, I love going to meetings when, when Mark Fratsky says, well, why can't we do that? <laughs> um, when people say that, and, and I, it's like kind of a motto I keep bringing up in meetings, like, why can't we do this? Like, what is the barrier? Um, and I keep, I keep asking people that because I think we need ideas. I think we need to be innovative. I've heard things about new dialysis units, psych areas, placement um, innovation, clinic innovation, and I've heard um, technology, and all of this is for our patients. And so I just want us to bring that to our forefront because throughput is still a massive problem. And some of it is related to COVID, but some of it is just long standing. I don't know what it what the, the adjective it is, but it's just long standing issues at Highland Hospital. Um, and so I think we need to be creative and proactive about that moving forward. Um, and uh, something that I hope on, uh, we, we can continue to build on. Um, and then the last two pieces are, it's graduation season for everyone. I'm sure everyone knows someone that graduated since everyone celebrates every grade for everyone at this point um, on, on the internet. But I wanna really highlight our graduate medical education, our residents that are graduating and those residents that are gonna be coming in. So, and some of them that are gonna be staying. And I really am proud that we uh, train our residents so well and we keep some here and we send others on to change the world. Um, and I just wanted to give a shout out to everyone and congrats to all those res re uh, graduating residents and to all the new medical students who are, our new doctors, graduating medical students who are coming to join us in a couple of weeks. And then finally, um, before we start losing people, go Warriors. <laughs> thank you, Dr. Bash. And um, thank you and thanks to all the um, clinical leaders and who support the residents, Dr. Will, Dr. Simon, everyone. That's really, it's tremendous to um, be a teaching institution and, and have that, that um, advantage of sharing and healing and teaching. So um, the next report is Dr. Abzali. Hi, Dr. Abzali. I believe he had, I, I think he's sick with COVID, so I believe he had told Dr. Biquette that he wasn't able to presenting today. Oh, okay. Well, there's, I, I um, that's unfortunate, and it, yeah, sorry to hear that. Then um, I guess we'll move forward to the East Bay Medical Group update. That would be Dr. Akil Swan and um, Dr. Perez. Trustee Jensen, uh, we will not be getting an update tonight. Uh, she sent us an email um, that we would not be getting an update. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, Dr. Bash, I guess we're moving pretty quickly here then uh, towards the Warrior game. So our next item on the agenda then will be our committee reports. Uh, if we have any um, reports from any verbal reports from human resources from Trustee Blue. Uh, hi, thank you. It'll be really quick. Um, so, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, one of the one of the things that we talked about is, you know, as everybody knows how bad the turnover is, but one of the ideas that come out is what can the each department do? to create some sort of welcome system or a buddy system. 
so that they can work with new staff coming in um, and help them through that process. Uh, nationally, the turnover rate is 25.9%, uh, and we're at 20%, so we're not at the national, but it's still pretty high. 15% um, of the employee population are retired. That's the majority of the folks that have been um, uh, leaving. And then uh, there are some other programs, uh, the professional development program that's getting underway, uh, the cultural improvement program. On that, there's uh, affinity groups, the Black and the Latinx groups have formed. And I know the Black affinity group had their first meeting. Um, Huron is developing workshops as well for the Leadership Academy that we're also launch launching. There's career coaching, there's uh, growth space, there's tuition reimbursement that we're, have we done that, um, Lorna? That's still, that's going July through some? 1st. Yeah, okay. July 1st is the implementation. Okay, uh, July 1st. And then in terms of um, doing some recruitment and inspiring Oakland youth or Alameda County youth to come into the healthcare field, there are uh, is a program on that to try to bring in uh, young folks who are somewhat interested in the healthcare field. And there was um, a video that was shown of one of the students who went through an internship program. And now he is going to be, you know, he's going into the healthcare field. And so as we talk about the importance of trying to recruit new staff from the county, I think looking at our youth in this county and inspiring them to move into healthcare positions, healthcare career would be something that we need to take a look at. Um, I don't know if there's anything else, uh, Lorna, that we should add to that, but we'll have minutes for folks that people can take a look at. Oh, one more thing in terms of the RN recruitment thing. Uh, we're gonna to continue to talk about that, but it really comes down to money. We cannot compete with the private sector and we cannot compete with these registries. If they're getting $700 a shift, they get to work whatever shift they want. They get to work at whatever hospital they want. Uh, it's very difficult you know, to compete with that. So uh, I would say that budget, salaries are the issue here. We just have to be much, much more competitive. Thank you, Trustee Blue. I, um, I just want to share something. I, I have um, several friends that are nurses at, as well as traveling nurses. And um, I was reading recently that it seems to appear that in um, March, April, the demand began to drop um, nationwide. And I, I have a friend who has been a traveler for um, since right before the right right when COVID began the, the pandemic, and um, she's not getting the um, contracts. There, she's not being getting the contracts and getting to go where she wants to go um, in her newest contract. So, uh, just to say, there perhaps is being some reduction in the in the demand, and that perhaps our um, our staffing will will rebound as the um, decrease of traveling demand for traveling nurses continues. 
Yeah, I would say that um, as a former retired RN, we're getting old and there's no younger RNs coming behind us. And that's a big problem, right? There aren't enough RN programs that are out there. And it's so competitive just to get into the program. People have to wait for a while, right? But it's, it's cycles. It's almost like every 10 to 15 years, there's another um, shortage of registered nurses, so. Thank you. We're very fortunate to have the expertise of, of you and, and Jennifer and, um, and Jet on the committee to inform about these issues on the, on the um, board. So with that, we'll go to the consent agenda. And there's minutes, approval of the minutes from May 11th. Um, uh, I have a finance report. Uh, oh, gosh. I'm I'm so sorry. I knew I would mess something up. Thank you, um, Trustee Fox. Please um, share your report, your, your verbal report from the Finance Committee. Okay. Uh, two major items on the agenda. One of them was CFO's report for the month of April and then the, the budget. And I will leave the budget for uh, Ms. Miranda to present later on and talk about our financial results, which have been very favorable. And the month of April, uh, net income was $36 million versus uh, $1 million budgeted. And year to date, net income is $116 million compared to $19 million budgeted. Year to date, EBITDA is $123 million and EBITDA is, is operational cash flow basically uh, with an 11% margin and that compares to $29 million budgeted and a 3% margin. Uh, part of the reason for this is that year to date net patient revenue is $76 million over budget with a much higher than expected collection rate, 19.2%, uh, 2.5% above budget. Uh, however, uh, everybody needs to bear in mind that these results this year recur, uh, include some very large non-recurring items uh, including several large uh, payments from the CARES uh, bailout program relating to COVID and from the 2021 Medicare cost report tentative settlement uh, and a number of other supplemental government programs. And a lot of these are non-recurring, meaning um, we're not going to be making this amount of money every year going forward. Uh, and you'll see this uh, because the way the finance staff built the budget is they first uh, uh, teased out all of the non-recurring uh, income that we've had this year. And they started with 2021, uh, excluding non-recurring uh, entries and payments. So when you see the budget, you'll see that the expected results for 2023 are not anywhere near what's happened this year, which was a very unusual year. And most of the cash that we've generated this year is going to pay down the net negative balance owed to the county, uh, which uh, uh, as Mr. Jackson said, has now reversed to be in our favor uh, for only the first or second time in the history of the organization. Um, and we are projecting now that uh, we will be below the NNB budget, both at fiscal year end 2022 and 2023. 
Uh, so most of the cash that we made this year is going to pay down that NNB and make sure that we don't exceed it and become financially paralyzed. Um, unfortunately, a lot of that is not going to be available for uh, uh, for discretionary spending on the uh, on the part of the administration and the board. Uh, the other action item on the on the agenda besides the budget was uh, the McKesson contract, and we uh, approved the uh, extension of the McKesson contract that was proposed, uh, recommended that the board approve it, and that'll be discussed later on tonight. And that's my report. Um, thank you, Trustee Fox. Are there any questions or comments for Trustee Fox? Okay, hearing none, then we'll move now to the consent agenda, which does include, I see, the um, McKesson contract for 136 million six hundred thirty thousand nine hundred sixty two dollars for a term that extends to march 31st 2026 the contracts along with the minutes of may 11th okay i'm mark would you like yeah i, I move the consent calendar consisting of items f1 to f6 a second. Great, thank you, Ronna. Can we have a roll call, please? Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Blue. My goodness, really? Aye. Trustee Chapman. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Jensen. Aye. And Trustee Splendorio. Trustee Splendorio, are you here? Well, we'll have an abstention from Trustee. The motion passes anyway. Okay. Um, item G is the action discussion of several items. And um, the first item here is the action discussion G1 of the strategic plan language revision. I um, worked with Kinkinney with, with Trustee Banerjee and Trustee Friedman on this. And um, it may, there was actually 90 minutes, I think, which was reduced by um, by Chair Bouquet to 30 minutes. And that may be overstating what needs to be discussed. This, if trustees looked at this language, it's it's very straightforward and necessary and, and appropriate. Um, I would give it to Trustee Banerjee to present, please. Thank you, Trustee Jensen, and thank you to Trustee Friedman, who um, took the lead in um, finessing it and shortening it. And I think we've had three meetings of discussions about it, but one of it was just imperative for us to include this language in the preamble. There are a couple of other things that which we will be working with PACE or Huron. This is the intro language. So we ask that we have a motion to approve that if there's any discussion um, open to that. But um, Trustee Friedman, would you like to add anything else? Uh, no, it's a really good process. And I really thank Trustee Banerjee for uh, taking the lead and uh, making sure that we put everything in the proper context. And if nobody has any questions or changes, I'd like to move approval. 
We have a motion. I'll second the motion. Can we have a roll call, Rana, please? Yes, Trustee Banerjee. Aye. Trustee Blue. Aye. Trustee Chapman. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Jensen. Aye. And Trustee Splendoria. I'm sorry, Ronnie. Could you tell me what agenda item? Because I lost my connection. What agenda item are we on? Yeah, I'm on sorry. It? We're on G1, the strategic plan language revision. Oh, I, I vote yes. Excellent. The motion passes. Thank you. Thank you. Great. And moving right along, we're on um, item G2, the AHS governance update. Um, James, Mr. Jackson, please. Excellent. I will share screen. Um, and I'm looking, Supervisor Dave Brown was going to join us tonight along with Bobby Wunsch. And so I'm just scanning the room to see oh, if they're- I'm here. I'm here, James, and the supervisor Excellent. is on his way. Excellent, so thank you so much, Bobby. Thanks for being here. Bobby, oh, my um, pleasure. via her firm, was the consultant who has guided this process um, that consisted of the two members of the committee, which are supervisors, Dave Brown, and Richard Valle. And there are a number of um, individuals, myself and Trustee Bouquet included among them, um, who were um, included as advisors, um, although not actual voting members of this committee. And um, that included labor leadership and leadership from the Alameda County government, government governance and um, also um, the healthcare services agency. So it was a, a multidisciplinary team that um, went through this process. And we had a series of meetings starting at the beginning of this calendar year. And so I'm gonna walk through a very brief slide deck and then I'd really love for Bobby and Supervisor Brown to facilitate um, answering any questions that the trustees may have along with me. That would be awesome. Um, let me bring the slides up now. James, um, I know time is of the essence. I just hope we can wait for maybe one more minute until um, the supervisor uh, arrives. Cause I know we wanted to make a few opening comments. I see. And then I um, didn't know if you um, wanted us to, um, we had sent to the board of trustees, the presentation that was made at the board of supervisors meeting, which is different than this presentation. I didn't know if you wanted me I to. See. Well, uh, you why know, don't we use that and make that presentation. The, the supervisor's here. Uh, yeah. Right. Thank you. I'm going to stop sharing, Bobby. And I think um, let's make a on the field adjustment. I'm happy to have you and the supervisor um, deliver the presentation that you've just referred to. So please, um, if, if that's consistent with our board chair, Chair Jensen, are you okay with us making that adjustment? Absolutely. Um, welcome to Bobby and welcome to Supervisor Brown. Please um, take the, the lead on, on presenting the rest of the information about the governance changes. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Chair Jensen. Appreciate that. Uh, James Jackson, CEO Jackson, it's good to see you as well Thank as you. the rest of the Board of Trustees. Appreciate you. you allowing us to take a few minutes. Um, just as way of context, and I, I'm, Bobby is going to do most of the presentation, but just to let you know that uh, Supervisor Valle and I are ad hoc committee on AHS governance. We were charged uh, by the board to review 
different governance structures to figure out how the uh, Board of Supervisors could be more accountable uh, in terms of the uh, provision delivery of services uh, for those in need of healthcare, because obviously we're in charge of the healthcare safety net. Uh, and that's, you know, by law, our, our, our responsibility. So we were looking at different, op different models. We presented to the Board of Supervisors recently a recommendation. Uh, I, Bobby will go through that. Uh, uh, Dr. Bouquet, as well as James, were online uh, as part of, you know, ex expert testimony that we received for this project. So I'll let Bobby take over and we can discuss this. Great, thank you. Hi everyone, I'm Bobby Wunsch from Pacific Health Consulting Group and uh, I am going to just share my screen and walk through the presentation that was made to the um, Board of Supervisors. Um, so I hope everyone can see the screen. Um, this presentation was made on May 24th at a special work session uh, of the Board of Supervisors. Uh, just to give you all some context, I think you all know this, but the um, process of looking at AHS governance uh, began in September 2020 when Supervisors Chan and Baye uh, began discussion of the different potential reforms to the AHS governance structure. In October of that year, the board initiated a formal uh, review of the governance process. In December of 2020, Health Management Associates, uh, a nationally known uh, consulting firm, were engaged by the county to look at potential governance changes. And in the spring of 2021, the, the famous uh, spring of 2021, uh, HMA um, came forth with their uh, proposal uh, and their uh, research that they had done offering a number of options moving forward. Uh, in, later in the spring and early summer of 2021, um, the uh, recommendations from the HMA report were presented to AHS, to all of you and to the labor partners. Um, and in September of 2021, uh, the county engaged me to help um, plan and facilitate uh, the governance reform process, which was going to respond to feedback both from HS and from labor that they really hadn't been involved in the HMA process or the research other than being interviewed. Um, and then in February of 2022, of course, there was a hiatus um, because of the uh, untimely death of Supervisor Chan. In February of this year, um, the governance ad hoc committee, including the two members, uh, Supervisors Brown and Baye, began the process as uh, you've heard. Um, we have held six meetings uh, in which we have, um, the members have come up with a final recommendation. Uh, and then, as I mentioned, on May 24th, um, the, this recommendation and the process was presented to the Board of Supervisors in a public session. The AHS ad hoc committee was really charged with three um, uh, areas of focus. One was to look at the uh, most effective financial accountability structures between the county and AHS. The second, to look at governance, oversight, and transparency. And the third, to identify 
uh, the policy changes that might need to be made based on the recommendations that would be forthcoming. You've already heard about who the members were. And as um, both Supervisor Brown and um, James Jackson mentioned, we also had participation, not as members, uh, from AHS, the CEO and the board chair, uh, from labor and from the county. So in our six meetings, we methodically went through um, a number of issues. Uh, meeting number one was really level setting for the whole group. Meetings two and three looked at financing, during which time uh, we had presentations by uh, CEO Jackson and CFO uh, Kim Miranda from AHS, looking back over the last 10 years at AHS financing, uh, and in meeting number three, looking ahead five years to the financial forecast for AHS, as well as looking at the county's financial commitment in quite a lot of detail over a number of years, uh, what the county's financial commitment had been and in what areas. Uh, we also developed a set of financial shared understandings um, that the um, group worked on together. Meetings four and five looked at governance in particular. We had um, the CEO of the Contra Costa Health Services System, uh, Anna Roth, who is also the former CEO of the Contra Costa Public Hospital, the Contra Costa Regional Medical Center. Uh, and we had Dr. C.J. Canalope, who is the director of the San Mateo County Medical Center, their public hospital, talk about their governance structure. And also HMA presented what the governance structures were in, in the other county public hospital systems around the state. In meeting number five, we looked at what kinds of improvements uh, could be made uh, to improve oversight and transparency in the current governance structure. And again, we developed a set of shared governance understandings. And then at meeting number six, we really worked on our recommendations. Um, that were then presented uh, to the Board of Supervisors. The two main options that we explored in detail um, are really illustrated here. Option A, which is the recommendation that the members of the ad hoc committee made to the Board of Supervisors. In option A, the Board of Supervisors would be the formal governing board of Alameda Health Systems, delegating to a board of trustees like yourselves, certain operational functions, and we'll go into that a little bit more in a minute, while keeping AHS as a separate legal entity. Option B is much of what we have today, which is the board of supervisors appointing the, trust, the board of trustees and the board of trustees being the formal governing board of the separate legal entity that is AHS. We dug deeper into all of the issues, uh, as you can imagine, that were included in option A and B. And this chart really, at a high level, illustrates the discussions that we had. Um, under option A, remembering option A, the Board of Supervisors assuming the governing body role over AHS, with the Board of Trustees acting as a delegated body, would include potentially enhancing the Board of Trustees membership uh, with designated seats for key stakeholders, including the Healthcare Services Agency and labor. Um, under option B, 
where you continue as the governing body, the Board of Trustees, potentially adding one to two members of the Board of Supervisors as members of the Board of Trustees and further designating seats for uh, the County Healthcare Services Agency and for labor. Um, the role of the Board of Trusts, the Board of Supervisors in Option A would really be the responsibility for major AHS financial decisions like approving the budget for AHS and hiring, firing, and evaluating the CEO and the CEO's performance. Under option B, where you would remain the governing body, um, it was suggested that one member of the Board of Supervisors would participate in the CEO hiring and performance evaluation. In option A, the role of the Board of Trustees would need to be clearly defined in what roles would be delegated to the Board of Trustees in the arenas of quality, compliance, human resources, um, and probably many others, as uh, you all know the operations uh, of AHS uh, so well. Under option B, where you remain the Board of Trustees, there really would be no change uh, in that way to your role. I've already mentioned that under option A, the Board of Supervisors would approve the AHS budget. Um, under option B, the Board of Supervisors would review the AHS budget. And at this time, you all are uh, presenting the AHS budget, as I understand it, to the Board of Supervisors for review. Um, there would also be a need to formalize in option A, the structures that are already underway between AHS's administrative team and the county, uh, with the auditor controller, with the CAO's office, and with the healthcare services agency director. These meetings are ongoing now, but the hope would be under option A that they would be formalized so that with future administrations, they would continue. Um, under option B, um, the health committee um, receives reports from AHS and there are annual um, board of supervisors, board of trustees meetings, which would be expected to continue. We'd also like to recommend under option B that these formalized meeting structures uh, do continue there as well. And so on May 24th, um, Supervisor Brown and Valle recommended to the Board of Supervisors um, option A, that the Board of Supervisors become the governing body of AHS with a delegation to the Board of Trustees for operational oversight and that AHS continue to be a separate legal entity. The members of the committee asked for direction from the Board of Supervisors and the board directed county staff to begin researching and analyzing the legal and financial and policy changes that would need to occur if option A were to be implemented and before a final recommendation on option A uh, were to be made and before a vote was taken. So on May 24th, no vote was taken other than the um, guidance to county staff to begin this work, which has already begun. Um, and um, Foley Lardner 
who I believe you all know well is a um, major law firm that works with all of the public hospital systems in California has been asked by county council to begin this work. And the auditor controller has reached out to the county's outside auditor to talk about the financial implications to the county's um, financial structure, credit rating, uh, et cetera. So we expect that the county staff and the ad hoc committee, uh, Supervisors Brown and Valle, will bring forward uh, probably in the fall of 2022, the final governance change recommendation and this legal policy analysis for the board's consideration and presumably a vote uh, sometime in the fall. And then state legislation will be needed to um, implement uh, option A and uh, the statutory changes that are required. The timing of that is unknown at this point uh, until we see the legal and uh, policy analysis. So with that, let me stop and um, turn the um, microphone back to Supervisor Brown for any comments he'd like to make. And then I know Supervisor Brown and I would be happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Bobby. I, you covered it all. I just will reiterate that it was there was no vote taken, no decision was made to move and uh, to uh, implement the model, but direction was given and uh, a majority of the board wants to move in the direction of, of option A. And we would want to have a you know, fully baked proposal with all the analysis legal and policy wise before decision would be made. So I just wanna reiterate that uh, the board is uh, definitely engaged at this point and are waiting for staff to come back, hopefully in the fall with a, with a final proposal. Thank you, Supervisor Brown and um, Ms. Lynch. That was a great report and I actually did see the um, extended meeting of the health committee and, and there was a lot of discussion, a lot of great discussion. So um, before I turn it over to trustees for questions, I have a question. I, um, as the, the representative and the liaison to Alameda Health System Board from Alameda Healthcare District, I um, would uh, ask and um, first I'll ask and then I'll urge, but I'll ask whether the um, Board of Supervisors are or um, whether the discussion from Bobby with your team included any discussion of the partnership between Alameda Health System and Alameda Healthcare District, which establishes the management oversight for management of Alameda Hospital and the oversight of the agreement, the joint powers agreement between our two organizations. Uh, yeah, it did come up. We didn't spend a lot of time on it, but that's part of this process of figuring out you know, because I know it is, uh, you know, in legal documents with the health district and AHS. So we'll have to look at that. I don't know, Bobby, if you have anything to add to that. I think that's definitely on the list for legal counsel to look at. Great, thank you. And I see that um, Trustee Blue has a question or comment. Yeah, so are we pretty uh, confident that we'll have the research analysis, policy analysis done by the fall? I would say we're reasonably confident. I'm not sure. I mean, I think at this point, that's that's what staff has told us that that was a reasonable time frame. A lot uh -huh. of it has to do with the law firm that we've uh, hired, as as Bobby mentioned, and uh, Diana, and their attorney, felt pretty confident that we could do that. I think what's gonna, I think we're gonna have that analysis ready. Whether the actual specific proposal 
is ready by September to vote on that I don't know. And I think, uh, but I think there'll be enough of an analysis for us to make, start making some decisions. I also want to express my thanks that um, labor is uh, in favor of this option. That's my understanding. They're a part of the group, uh, which will make a difference because if we have to get legislative um, bills passed, then we need labor yeah. to get behind us, especially SEIU. SEIU is weighed in in favor of option A. Um, mm -hmm. We had representation from the Labor Council as well as CNA. And uh, every, I mean, the hybrid that we're talking about where AHS is outside the county structure as it is now and it maintains its own identity mm -hmm. uh, with the Board of Supervisors just having more of a role in certain areas of decision making uh, seems to be one that, that works well for different stakeholders. Mm -hmm. uh, I try to hopefully have the best of, of both worlds. Okay, well, I commend the ad hoc committee for uh, coming up with an option that they're, they wanna recommend because when I first got on the, the board of trustees, labor was like, we want out. We wanna be back underneath the county because of concerns and issues and problems. So I'm glad that you know, they're behind this. So thank you. Thank you, Trustee Blue. Trustee Friedman? Yeah, thank, thank you so much, Supervisor Brown, for all of your work on this. Uh, it, it's really um, gratifying that you were able to work so closely with Supervisor Chan to initiate this process and to hopefully see this phase of it home before, uh, unfortunately, you'll be leaving office. My question is this, once the lawyers do all their work and set up a process, and timeline, do we have any idea at this point how long this transition process will take once the Board of Soups votes to move forward? Bob, you want to answer that one? I, I don't think um, anyone really knows. I think that's what we're waiting to hear from, particularly Foley Lardner, is the recommendation for what the next steps really are and how long that will take. Yeah, one Thank thing, Mark, you. that we uh, we just the, the one piece of information that we would need to find out is do we need the state legislature to pass a bill to enable us? So you could think, you know, next legislative session would have to be, you know, part of the time frame. So it, it could it could be a little bit of time before something could actually be fully implemented. Thank you. Thank you, Trustee Freeman. Trustee Smondoria. I believe that Trustee Banerjee had her hand up first, unless she took it down. I do, but go ahead, Aslan. No, no, please. All right. Um, I had, I um, thank you, um, Supervisor Brown and um, um, Ms. Lunch for um, stewarding this process. Well, I think it's not a surprise because we know that what Supervisor Chan at that point had said is that, um, you know, going back to fully back to the county wasn't going to be an option and continuing as it was wasn't an option. This hybrid way is good. I am. Um, the timeline was something that I want, also had a question about, but I, I would like to see if this is going uh, as this higher model is going forward is I don't see a mention of the Alameda County Public Health. And as we work into uh, 
population health model. And uh, as much as HICSA is our uh, is such a core partner, I hope that moving forward as you're thinking about um, the county oversight that we also integrate very well with our county public health and our health system. We know right at this time that our ambulatory primary care work needs, they, they are doing amazing work and we need to do more. And from, uh, from our community's point of view, having a continuum of care that is easy for them to navigate along their life course, um, you know, birth through the end of life to be able to do that in wellness as well as in healthcare, downstream approaches would be really, really important. There are different strengths that we have, our you know, linguistic capabilities that we have, our folks that come here, and especially now as we are also looking at the kind of outpatient specialty care that we are looking at. We had the cancer collaborative. This time we are gonna have the cardiovascular and vascular folks speak about it, that the, the public health, if anything, COVID has taught us is how important it is for us to be integrated. So I would love to see that being uh, considered in a very you know, robust way when that's happening. And um, lastly, uh, as much as possible to not silo our margins with our mission. And so even as we have the fiscal oversight from there, we hope that whoever is the county representative and the seats are also very much involved in our quality um, and operations piece as well. Thank you. That's, that makes a lot of sense. And, and, and healthcare services, public health, very, very involved in this process and will be moving forward. So I just want to reassure you of that. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Brown. Um, Chelsea Splendario. Under uh, both options, who's responsible for the strategic planning or leadership of the organization? My this this is my own personal opinion on that, and I I, I see HS continuing to operate as it does now, regardless of the option. It has to. I mean, there has you know you have a great CEO with a great executive team, you have fantastic board members. You know, you're generating budgets, you're generating, you have HR team, you have your quality team, you've got your compliance team, all these things are going to continue. And that's why the whole idea of hybrid where AHS operates outside the county as it does now, just if we do option A, we feed certain decisions up to the board of soups. That's, that's the only difference is that rather right now it's more of an oversight and we report to the board. There will be some decisions under option A that will be made formally by the board, but all that, and I hope that answers your question, but uh, I, I, I do believe that AHS will continue to operate in, in, a, in a similar fashion. Well, to be honest, it disappoints me. Um, I thought there would have been more discussion of the strategic leadership that which has been lacking uh, for many years here. We just, you know, we just, addressing a strategic plan now that needs to be ongoing and it's probably the most important thing the board any board should do um you know I, i've said this before and i'll say it again this board spends far too much time on operational issues and doesn't give enough direction to this to the to the to james and the team uh in terms of strategy now we've done that and we're doing that now and um but that has to continue um into the future because i think that's the most valuable part of uh, of this of, of a board this kind whether it's 
the board of trustees serving as the board or whether it's uh, you know these nine individuals. But I'm sorry, but I, I, I just all I read in, in this report is about operational. And, I, and, and like I said, I'll say it again, we've spent far too much time on operational issues. Um, that's what we have James and his team for, for the most part. And we should be giving direction, which now we're doing. And I'm glad about that. But, um, you know, most, C, most CEOs will tell you their board should be helping guide the direction, strategic direction of the organization. Well, if, 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 you're, if you're looking for a response to that, I obviously am not in, in the middle of all the conversations you have at the Board of Trustees level, but the Board of Supervisors under Option A would have more decision-making. And again, I think that it's important that AHS continues to operate outside the county. Uh, you're on mute, Tracy. Thank you, Trustee Fox. Yeah, perhaps, hopefully that'll come up during the policy discussions, the, the relationship with the Board of Supervisors and the Board of Trustees in adopting and developing and adopting the strategic plan. Yeah, yeah hopefully that's a, uh, that will be a work in, in progress. I just wanted to say, um, Bobby and Supervisor Brown, thank you so much for facilitating this discussion. Um, I look forward to the final recommendation and I really wanna emphasize how important it was to bring our labor partners to the table. Because oftentimes, um, you know, we as executive leadership teams and, and uh, you know, maybe the board of soups, uh, we make decisions and then we notify labor that we made the decision and then labor wants to come to the table to meet and confer over it or negotiate over it. So the whole idea of bringing them to the table in the forefront was very important because I feel like, I, I don't know if you know, but I, I was a labor negotiator for almost 30 years with SEIU. And it's very important to do that because, you know, once labor feels like they have a voice and have an input into the decision-making process. It makes life a whole lot easier on all of us. And so I just wanted to thank you and applaud you for that. Thank you. Thank you, Trustee Chapman. Um, Trustee Fox. Uh, thank you. Um, I just wanted to make a comment that I hope that with additional authority uh, moving over to the Board of Supervisors side, uh, that the supervisors could give some consideration since they'll have, you know, more authority over the finances of the organization to, to, to facilitate a little bit of an easier flow of capital back and forth between the county and AHS. Uh, I know there's certain, certain amounts that uh, uh, AHS has been expecting to receive back from the county. Uh, and ever since I've been on the board, which is about a year and a half, it's this amount is going up, it doesn't seem to get settled. And I hope uh, some consideration can be given to uh, facilitate the flow of capital back and forth. Yeah, and that's gonna come out with this, the, the, the analysis staff will do. We, part of that's gonna be financial and uh, the implications of that. So I appreciate that comment. We're all, certainly we're all on the same team now. And my understanding, I haven't been here very long that it didn't feel that way to the supervisors going back to two years and more, but I think you, you can be confident that you have a, an administration that you can trust and a board that you can trust. And we should be working to facilitate getting our patients the kind of care that 
all insured patients get in the county as well. Agreed. Uh, healthcare is a, is a capital intensive service, as I, I'm sure you know, and I think what AHS needs is the confidence to know that the capital will be there when needed. Okay. Thank you, Trustee Fox. Trustee Friedman, did you have another comment? Yeah, under option A, would all the current pension arrangements uh, remain the same or would those uh, be rolled into uh, Alameda County? Pensions would stay the same. All the employees would have the same uh, rights that they have currently. We would not fold them into civil service through the county. So yeah, it'll, it'll remain the same. Thank you. Are there any other questions from the board of oh, Trustee Banerjee? Yeah, I, I would reiterate what uh, our finance uh, chair just said, uh, Trustee Fox. And one of the things that you know has been a through line for this is that this is we are seeing um, uh, you know this kind of uh, for the first time in so long we are flush, uh, which is also a word I I want to use. Um, with caution, but when you when our margins are so thin, it prevents us from having centers of excellence because you need the as there there's capital investment that's needed to create a line of service. We have incredible strengths within our um, system of expertise that we have about how we manage comorbidities for our you know, highest acuity patients like our geriatrics and some of our other ways. And when you have margins that are so thin and there is you are deferring capital uh, improvements and you don't have the right equipment and things that really cramps our ability to be the kind of aspirational um, that, that our community deserves. And so I think with having the fiscal um, opportunity there, we do hope that that level of kind of uh, bi-directional accountability comes in where the county too feels that how, how might we make us whole in ways that allows us to give the same kind of treatment to our patients that uh, you know um, paying customers and our like, commercial paying cus customers are, are clients and patients are able to get. So um, I, I am looking forward to it, just like the sheriffs and other folks have their budget um, you know, looked at and have a voice at the table during the budget process that AHS will also have that voice at the table. Thank you. Thank you, Trustee Banerjee. Thank you, trustees. Um, I don't see any other hands, and I would ask if the if the CEO and the executive leadership team um, give you a chance to to weigh in here. Thank you very much, Chair Jensen. I, I would just offer that this has been a I think a very inclusive and um, thoughtful process. I'm very grateful to Supervisor Baye and to particularly Supervisor Brown and his staff for leading this process and to Bobby for her facilitation. I, I'm very comfortable that what's proposed in both options, but particularly in option A is, is doable. And um, it really formalizes, I think Bobby said it, what's happening right now. And it shouldn't be dependent on individuals. It should be uh, codified. Um, and so this is the codification of what we're doing today. And I'm very supportive of the process identified. 
Thank you, James. And um, I'm going to close, take a point of privilege, and just I'd be remiss if I didn't. Again, um, I, I'll I'll thank um, Trustee Fox for pointing out that um, that it would be it would be well served for Alameda Health System to have a closer relationship with the board and the county in terms of capital expenditures and. Of course, um, in Alameda and our aging hospital, we are really looking forward to working with the Board of Supervisors and, and helping and, and advising and advocating for to establish some options for the seismic requirements that are coming forward in 2030 for Alameda Hospital in specific in particular. And so with that, I don't see any other comments and I thank Supervisor Brown and thank Ms. Wunsch for all of your hard work on this. We, we and, and as well as Supervisor Valle, this is really important and it's gonna be a, a, a true new partnership once this is all established and we move forward. So right. thank you. Thank you, Chair Jensen, appreciate it. Okay, then our next item here is um, the final budget. So I guess, you, you could both stick around and, and see the budget and learn more about what you'll be approving in the future. Ms. Miranda, this is you. Hey, good evening. Um, yes, we're gonna uh, present an abbreviated uh, review of the budget. Um, Grace Messina, she is our Director of Financial Planning and Analysis. And uh, one of her key responsibilities in the organization is to develop the budget. Uh, she and her team have done a phenomenal job. Here we are at June 8th, asking for you to approve the budget. Um, I'm sure uh, she'll be sharing her screen here in just a moment. All right, Grace, I will turn it over to you. Good evening, everyone. I'm Grace Messina, as um, Kim had um, introduced me at. Uh, we will be presenting to you the FY 2023 budget, which the Finance Committee had recommended for approval last week. We have 30 minutes allotted to us for the presentation. Therefore, I have selected um, key slides to review with you tonight, leaving room for questions. Um, the budget has a positive net income and was given um, and no target was given by the Finance Committee. Our leadership was asked to stretch and be realistic at the same time. Um, as um, James had uh, mentioned earlier, we have not had many years of positive net income. And in our budget, we had covered all of the pillars at AHS. The FY22, as you can see the projection here, um, is a very unusual year as you have, uh, as you have heard earlier in the, uh, from others. And in FY22, we have a lot of one-time adjustments or one-time items that is not gonna be reflected in FY2023 budget. Um, part of that are the COVID, um, the COVID transactions or the COVID funding and um, the revenue cycle, we've done a lot of lift in the revenue cycle that came to fruition in FY22. And we also have true ups of the supplemental funding from prior years. As you can see, our projected EBITDA is 110 million. And as um, um, 
Trustee Fox had mentioned earlier, we're at 116 million in EBITDA for April. We pulled this information as of March, 2022, and there is a lot of one-time adjustment included in this. Here are the one-time adjustments. They're about $69 million. This is not gonna happen again in FY 2023, and we have excluded them from the budget. There's collections from prior years, um, trauma underpayments that we had received. We've also um, gotten some triage catch-up and underpayments. We've also um, gotten our IOP billing uh, together. So we have a one-time catch-up of 745,000. Um, and then in the supplemental, supplemental funding, we had our ARPA. It's a one-time, we did not know about it previously, a one-time funding for COVID. Um, there was a formula change of $15 million that we received for GPP. And there's the SB 129 grant funding. It's a one-time uh, of $6.8 million, $6.9 million. For COVID, we also received um, extra um, claims reimbursement for FMAP of 10% for SNP, Medi-Cal Acute, Medicare certain DRGs for COVID. But um, this will go away in... Um, FY 2023 around September. So we added back like three months worth because the public health emergency has been extended to September, 2022. We also have a uh, CARES funding of $3.5 million. I'm gonna go back to my previous slide here. So this is our $69 million of uh, one-time adjustment that we removed. So our adjusted EBITDA is really about $41 million. And from here, I will bridge the, I will bridge to our budget 2023 items. So we have $41 million in adjusted EBITDA. Basically, um, it includes run rate and it includes, you know, the lift from the revenue cycle um, and uh, supplementals. And we, from there, we have an increase of volume growth. And that's just a 2% overall volume growth in there. Um, and we've cleaned up a lot of our behavioral health um, claims. So we were able to reduce our denials and our, ad, um, our admin days for um, John George, and we will be able to maximize our contract with the county uh, for that. We've also increased our charge capture in a lot of work on the uh, charge capture arena in the revenue cycle. And so we've increased that as well. We've also invested um, in our workforce for the current year, it's about $20 million worth. Um, that is an increase of um, PSA to the maximum amount. This is about $15.7 million above run rate. We invested in our physicians uh, and EBMG with room to grow. There's an, uh, FTEs of 9.6 9 .6 FTEs in, in addition. And there is room to grow with that. We've also included an additional $3.7 million of salary increases for EBMG that's effective on January 2023. Um, so that's a half a year. We've also um, you know, adjusted for the um, APPs or the advanced practitioner for a full year of increase by moving them from EBMG to, to AHS. And um, we've um, increased our contracting amounts for our physicians by $2 million due to the market um, um, 
demands. We've also included a new nurse training program. Uh, we've invested that in here so that we can get new grads. We have two training programs. We can get new grads in and train them so we can um, beef up our, our, FT, our, um, our employees. And we've also included a training program for lower level nursing to be into higher acuity uh, nursing so we can move them around and, and uh, develop our current staff. We've also included, you know, um, a training, um, outside training for, all, for our staff so they can um, grow and develop as well as tuition reimbursement. And we've reinstated celebrations. You know, we did not have funding for um, celebrations such as Hospital Week and, and Nurses Week, Physicians Week, and, um, and other celebrations departments uh, for their milestones and, and things that they achieved. So we reinstated that as well. Um, and then we've also included additional benefits for the FTE that we would like to convert our registry into our own employees uh, for patient quality as well as for um, um, uh, reduction in registry. For um, infrastructure, we've actually uh, put in increases in IT for hosting fees, licenses. Um, we've increased our security services. You know, as you've heard, we needed more security in the campus. Uh, we've increased uh, management consultants to help us out with how um, implementation and to develop the program. And then we also included maximum uh, included uh, fees for our current consultants to maximize our reimbursement. We've included biomed um, you know, expenses in here as well. We, as, you, as Mark had mentioned, we have a 10-year plan for biomed. There is dollars included in the operations as well as in capital for biomed refresh. And um, we've also re got our, you know, our FQAC reinstated. So that offsets some of our, um, our Highland FQAC. So that offset is some of our expenses that, that we are in investing in infrastructure. And um, we've increased um, $500,000 for lease beds to help with our initiative for the length of stay so we can help with the um, throughput. For quality and safety, we um, added um, some gap coverage in our staffing. You know, um, we weren't able to, you know, um, have breaks and all that. So we've added coverage for that as well. Um, we, we are hiring a biomed director to oversee the refreshes and make sure that the, um, you know, that our patients and our employees are safe with our equipment. Um, we also included, um, we reinstated the GME program, the dental GME program to provide more access to the community. And um, we've increased our licensed social workers to have to improve the mental health access in the primary clinics. And, um, and we've added phlebotomists in the ED um, to make sure that our patients are, uh, our throughput is good and our, our nurses are not overburdened and expanded the lab services to um, improve infections and, um, and uh, eliminate some of the tests, uh, duplicate tests. 
We have CPI, of course, we have included about three and a half percent for our non, um, uh, for our labor, for um, non-physicians labor. And we included some increases in our supplies and purchase services. In the other bucket, we have increases from the foundation for the contribution, increases in grant to support our, um, our SUD bridge clinic um, that we're providing new um, services or expanded services for substance abuse programs. And we also have other governmental revenues that was in here. And um, this is also offset by the 340B for pharmacy reduction in revenue. In the performance improvement, we put in $45.9 million. Um, and I will go over that performance improvement. And these are our performance initiatives. We have put in an overtime reduction of 2.6 million. So that our overtime as a percentage of productive would be more in line with um, benchmarks. Uh, we're reducing our utilization of registry and rates by hiring within. Um, we will do this by centralizing schedules and creating a traveler oversight on this. Um, and, and of course, our, our new nursing program will be helpful for that as well. We're putting in a telesitter uh, management program. Uh, this will uh, provide a safe sitter utilization to our patients. And we um, have payer contracting contracts that are um, uh, closing up um, and, and giving us a better um, rates, selling outstanding lawsuits, and we have our charge master increases. Our FQHC, we have, we have gotten our conversion of the Highland Clinics that was previously um, taken away our FQHC license, and now they've given it back to us effective March, 2022. So we will, um, be reconciling the visits and we will um, settle open years and we're in the process of negotiating a higher rate for our FQ at Highlands. That is not in the budget. We've only put in a very conservative amount for the FQHC, which is our current rate, instead of what we think we should get. It may take about a year to get that um, uh, resolved. So that's why we did not put it in the FY23 budget. We have a workers' compensation um, initiative um, to reduce our self-funded workers' comp. Um, we have a lift initiative. Most of our claims are uh, due to uh, lifting. And so we have a, a new lift initiative for that. We also have the best revenue cycle. We've included you know, improving AR days and using, uh, reducing denial rate. Um, additional $6.8 million. We are continuing to all the um, revenue cycle lift that we have been getting, um, we, that will continue um, through 2023 and beyond and plus an additional amount. Um, we also have, this is the best care optimization. This is um, doing the throughput, making sure that our ED is, um, so this is Euron work that um, they've started already to reduce um, um, to make sure that our patients are in the right level of care at all times and to make sure that we put uh, within the hospital and reduce our length of stay. We also have saving opportunities that Euron had um, that we're partnering with Euron on purchase services and life expenses with um, the rates, um, negotiating new rates. 
and we have the pharmacy reduced um, utilization and alternative products um, that is underway as well. We have not included any um, initiative re related to medical practice that's left to be determined. We've also included our strategic plans of the SUD Bridge Clinic. Um, this is adding, actually adding expenses, um, but we do have the grant to offset the expenses, but adding expenses to expand our uh, substance abuse program. And we have the integrated behavioral health. This is adding in um, expenses uh, to help with mental health access in the primary care clinics for mild to moderate patients. Um, I'm going to go ahead. Is there any question on the items I've presented so far? And I know you have a deck that's different, and that's fine. If you have any question on a particular item, feel free to ask me now. Um, otherwise, I will turn it over to Kim for the rest of the presentation. Trustees, any questions? This is Kim Kini. I have one question. Um, um, Ms. Messina, thank you so much for such a clear um, budget. I was in the finance committee at, in the audience and heard this one before. Um, in the workforce, um, you mentioned EBMG, and I was wondering, like, is that was that a subset of um, um, among other physician groups that you mentioned, or um, because I know that we have other physician groups as well, and especially our primary care. Um, unionized physicians, we know that we are having a lot of issues with recruiting. Um, on that front, we have other physicians groups. So I'm just wanting to make sure that, um, we'll, you know, we are creating uh, parity and, uh, and, and, and um, work with all of our physicians groups. Um. We, we have the EBMG, which is our largest physician group, and that's why it was called out. It's also a separate um, facility, a separate entity within AHS. So we have it split up. So we have that PSA in there. But we also have increases for other physicians as well, including the contracted ones. I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, I, I, I do. I know that we can be very hospital-centric sometimes, and so I just wanted to make sure that uh, we uh, thank you for clarifying. Yeah, we've, we've invested a lot in our physicians, a much-needed increase in their rates and, and going forward as well. Thank you. Thank you, Trustee Banerjee. If there's no other questions, seeing none, we'll, um, we'll move on to Ms. Miranda. Okay, so I'm going to go through the cash flow. Uh, uh, the budget 23 is right here in the middle, and we're picking up with earnings before interest depreciation amortization, which was on uh, Grace's initial slide. So we're bringing in um, cash flow of 44,572 at 3.7% EBITDA margin. Um, there are some timing difference on when we receive our supplementals. Uh, I've offset that with a reduction in day, days in AR to be a, a, a reduction of 20.4 million of our current year EBITDA. Um, we will get that in future years, but um, I've used the Huron strategic plan, which did not have detailed financials. So um, without having both the income statement and the balance sheet, it's hard to do a projection. So. Um, uh, that's why these are blank. 
Um, as we work to finalize the strategic plan into a financial plan, then we can update this at a later uh, point in time. But we do have the projected EBITDA from the Huron uh, engagement. Um, there is an EPIC payment we need to make. Um, we've committed capital, which we're gonna talk about here in a few minutes, because we want your approval to spend this money, 31,323. And so we'll, we have detailed that out for you so you know what we plan to buy. Um, in future years, I kind of had to plug it because again, it really, it wasn't enough in the Huron strategic plan. I know from history that we always spend around 30 million. So I just force that going forward. Um, there are some other sources, uh, the Alameda Health System Foundation, um, they've committed 2.4 million to us and I've just carried that out in all years. Um, I've grouped all the county transactions together just because it's easier to understand. Um, we've paid off the pension um, debt, so that there's zero there. There is the capital cost transfer. I'm assuming that we will do the amendment with the county and transfer over 90% of the cost reimbursement that we have received, or most of which has been received by the organization. Um, and then we will have access to get it back. So we've already paid in 5.7 and Mark Bratsky is working with the county, Kim Gassaway, to determine what we should spend that 5.7 on. But there will be an additional 9 million or so each year. So I assume we're gonna pay over you know, one, one year each year at 90%. And so if we get that amendment done, that's what we'll have happen. And then um, we will have a process in place where we can determine how best to either invest or use this funding to maintain county-owned buildings. There's the capital reserve fund. We've been um, transferring in accordance with our agreement, 7 million a year. And um, as of 2022, there was 21 million in that fund. Uh, and so I'm assuming that we are going to settle up with the county on that. So it'll almost offset the 26.6 we owe them for the cost reimbursement. And then I've continued those 7 million in and out each year uh, through the rest of this projection, which is consistent with our agreement. And then we end up with a cash uh, uh, surplus or deficit. In this case for 23, it's a deficit. You can see that it's actually a surplus in these other years and I have not completed the balance sheet changes at this point. Um, however, the good news is that we will be at a very low place in our NNB and projecting it to be $11.4 million. If we do pay off, the remainder of the waivers, these are those old recoupments. Uh, and the physician spa, I took that down about 20 million. I, they have not audited it. I just feel like based on the current years, that won't be as much due as we thought. I could be wrong, but I wanted this to be as realistic as possible. And I believe that we will settle up with the FQ. So I've taken that 40 million completely out of the recoupments. So my best estimate today is about another 26 million we owe. So if we pay that, our line of credit will go to 37,661 with the county, which is still well below the 110. So we will be compliant. 
And even after paying those in the future years, um, we show that we will be compliant. Um, I have to remind everybody that I am not assuming that we will pay back any of the CARES relief money we got. Very important at this point, the calculations do not show that we will have to pay it, but it is a moving target. The rules are changing and we have to keep bringing it forward at least through the end of the health emergency. Um, and I also wanna remind everybody, I'm gonna talk about it in a minute on the risk, is the performance improvement initiatives that uh, Grace walked you through. Very critical that we hit those. Next slide, please. Now oh, the budget, uh, the capital will be next. I'll talk about the risk first. So as I just mentioned, we've got $45.9 million of performance improvement. That is a lot of money. And it's gonna take a cultural shift that I see happening every day, but we have to be able to manage change. And uh, this means pushing forward on a lot of old practices that we've been, we've been maintaining for many years. We have to think differently about stuff. Uh, managing length of stay is key. Uh, and this takes all disciplines. It's not just physicians, it's everybody. We have to work together to make sure that we have a timely, safe discharge for every patient. We need to have reductions in OT and we need to flex labor. And in order to do this, we have to do it every day and we need to partner with our unions to do this. We have built in a reduction of registry of 84. We want our own core staff. It's safer for patients, better for our organization. And we must be able to attract and recruit to do that. The pandemic, um, the incremental impact of the pandemic is very minimal in the budget. We've used run rate, so our volumes are recovering and the expense structure is higher than what it used to be. We have left that in the budget. Again, I am assuming no payback. And I, I know I've said that many times, but um, back in when the ASA was in play and we got a lot of funding, we ended up having to have to pay that back in recruitments. And at this point, the calculations aren't showing that, but things can change. Also, if we continue to have outbreaks, that is going to rat, uh, raise havoc on our lengthy stay initiative. Uh, because we have to be able to get patients to the right level of care. Um, the, the staffing crisis through the great resignation and COVID definitely jeopardizes our plan to reduce registry. Um, I believe if things settle down uh, in the pandemic, there won't be the high demand and the rates will come down to equal to about what our, our current staff our current nursing staff make, we've actually left it a little higher for the non-nursing in the budget. Any questions on the, uh, oh, there's one more slide. Next slide, please. Um, there's also the realignment funds. You know, we talk about this every year. Uh, there's a substantial amount of money we get from the county and the, to the tune of about $47 million. Uh, we can only keep what we can demonstrate we needed. And right now I've got 4.5 million in the, in the in the budget, and that's just based on my experience for the last several years. Um, there's also a lot of Medi-Cal enrollment changes, both positive and negative. We've ignored them all for the budget. Um, I put a lot of information here and happy to answer questions, but 
you know, we don't have a crystal ball and we felt like, you know, there, some of this is offsetting. This is just starting to happen. We haven't seen the impact yet. So we're, we're kind of crossing our fingers. If, if we start to see major impacts, then we will have to build bridge plans and figure out a way to, um, to overcome any negative impact. Next slide. Um, I have a question before you continue. Want to go back to the... No, no, no. You know, well, um, it's just, it's not a question about the slide. Um, you probably touched on it or, or the previous presenter may have, but what about the, the supplemental repayments that have been... Um, so we've been paying a lot of those down. We started this year with about 71 million in debt and we're down to 16 million. And that was in the cash flow slide. Okay. All that's left on those old waiver recoupments. So we have used a lot of the money that came in this year, not only to pay off the NMP, but also to pay off those recoupments. Well, that's a good use of the money. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Please continue. So the next slide is the capital, and, and we're, you know, this is part of the overall approval that we're asking for tonight. Um, we've got carry forward requests. These are items that were previously approved and we have not finished paying for the funds. There's new capital requests of 32.7 million. However, we believe we will only be able to pay about 15 million of that out this year because you know, obviously you pay after you receive things and there's a, um, a lot of steps uh, between the planning and actually receiving and paying. We've got a contingency fund of 4 million um, and that's been about what we've been spending historical. So we've just kind of left it in there. And then um, starting in 24, there are some items in the long range financial plan. Um, and again, you know, we wanted to make sure we got to the 30 million or so dollars. So we kind of uh, fudged it a little bit to be a realistic number to get to the, to the number that we needed to be realistic. Next slide. Here's the detail for 23. So in the, our capital process is that we look at all of the requests from everyone, we prioritize, and then we give placeholders to anyone that, or any project that, that hit the priority list. And then these folks will be told, you're on the list to be approved, so go do your due diligence. Let's make sure we know exactly what this is going to cost. When can you get it done? And we manage to the cash flow. So that's the way the process works. Um, there's quite a few items in here. You can see the bio uh, device refresh is a big one there at uh, 12 million total. It goes over many years, 2.8 in uh, the 23. Um, other large items are the expansion of the Eastmont Wellness Center. Um, 2.2 million um, document imaging and storage at 1.3. Uh, we really want to uh, get into this uh, century and our technology and not have paper in everywhere. So those are some of the, a couple of the big pro uh, projects there. Uh, next slide. Are we done here, Grace? We have one more, are we done? We're done. We're done, okay. so. Um, the no, I was looking in the capital budget for 200 million. You have that possibly for a new hospital at Alameda? No, 
Thank you. Board members, trustees, questions? Okay, I see. Um, I don't see any questions immediately, but I'd like to get Trustee Fox to weigh in, comment, um, share information as the chair of the Finance Committee. Sure. Um, <clears throat> Uh, as you know, the Finance Committee uh, approved a resolution recommending that the board approve the budget. Um, the budget has some uh, pretty steep uh, uh, goals in terms of uh, operations, bringing down registry, bringing down overtime, increasing throughput, uh, all of those things are, I would call stretch goals, but uh, the administration is willing to take these things on. Um, and you know, there are a number of things that are unknown and, and risky going forward. Um, this year uh, for the 2022 budget, uh, I felt that the budget contained a lot of risks and, and was not, by any means a short thing. And I think even if you take out all of the one-time uh, uh, you know, windfalls that we had this year, uh, and I think the, the waterfall slide that Grace presented shows this, that, that this team uh, came in well ahead of the budget, even without uh, a lot of the uh, one-time benefits that they had this year. So. Um, you know, we, uh, we think it's a, it's an appropriately stretched budget. We're also, the committee was concerned about the capital and whether there's enough long-term capital in the plan, uh, to really get the organization where it needs to be and, and to be able to provide the kind of facilities and services at the level that, uh, would give our patients equivalent care to what everybody in the county gets, which I think is what our goals are. Um, and we know that, that, that at Alameda and San Leandro, uh, particularly uh, there are a lot of uh, capital needs and probably at John George and Fairmont as well. Highland's a little better off because Highland was rebuilt uh, several years ago and it's still a pretty new building. But if you look at the age of our plant, uh, outside of the Highland rebuild, um, our plants got a lot of depreciation on it. Um, so that that's one of the reasons why the capital flow into AHS from the county is important. And the board has continue, continued to emphasize, you know, the capital needs and make sure that they're fully represented in the budget. I think you're on mute, Tracy. Sorry, um, thank you, Trustee Fox. So I would be happy to put a motion on the table for the board to approve the 2023 operating and capital budgets. Second. I have, I have comments. I've had my hand up.
Chati Pandaria. Thank you very much for recognizing me. Uh, and I appreciate uh, all the work that Kim Miranda and her staff has done. Uh, it's actually, um, it's probably one of the you know, proudest moments to see this, something like this. But I, I appreciate uh, <clears throat> Trustee Fox uh, um, stating what I had said at the Finance Committee regarding the CapEx budget. Um, and I do want to, hopefully this message gets to the Board of Supervisors that uh, <clears throat> the measurement tools that are used in the industry that, that Kim provided to me. Um, this budget and frankly, even in the past, uh, shows that we're in the lowest percentile of hospitals when it comes to replacing our our uh, uh our equipment in terms of obsolescence and uh, or wearing out or replacement. And um, I don't think that's what the community uh, should get. And I think we need uh, uh, to do a far better job of understanding that uh, capital investment is what will um, move us to a place where we provide the best possible care. Um, and uh, I, I, I even made a proviso in, in, in the motion at the finance committee that, that I, I would like to see uh, the, the uh, staff, whether it's through a COO's department or through this and, through the, and or the CFO's department, come back sometime during the year and show us uh, you know, what they've, how they've thought that, that they are considered, how they can, um, what kind of investments are going to be required and, uh, and I recognize that we've had a lot of shock to our finances in the last several years. And uh, there always, there isn't, there's never enough money, but this is so vitally important that we invest in our, because basically we're investing in our future and we're investing in the future of the community. And we cannot simply just fix what breaks or becomes obsolete. That's all I have, Tracy, thank you. Oh. Thank you, Trustee Spondorio. And your points are well taken. Also, Trustee Fox brought this up when in the discussion about the governance changes. This is something that the county, you know, we have very few capital. Um, we, we can't really borrow, right? So we we have to rely on the county and on, uh, for a lot of our capital needs. And I think that your point is very well taken. In. And I also um, appreciate the points made by, by Trustee Fox about his um, his wanting to ensure that the the budget um, risks are identified and 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 that we continue to analyze those risks as we go forward. Um, I see that Kim, you have you're going to share some more information, hopefully. Yeah, I I just wanted to ask that we amend the uh, the motion to include the true up for the actuarial report. I think the clerk of the board has some wording for you, but I wanna make sure that we can um, use the actuarial report to true up the non-cash part of the retirement um, funding or the retirement expense, if you will. Would you, would you put forward an, um, a, a motion to that effect? Um, well, I, I would make my motion subject to any adjustments that 
are necessary because of the actuarial reports that will be received after this meeting. Thank you. With that, um, I'll second the motion to move forward with the, the budget. And I appreciate all the hard work that went into this, especially if I could just say the, several years ago, we were, we were basically doing a budget that was identified accounts payable as a huge account payable as a huge problem, the reimbursement of supplementals, and um, of course, always the net negative balance. And those three things are not resolved, of course, but at least we've been, um, they've been addressed. And I, I appreciate that. I think that's tremendous. So now we have a motion and a second. Um, Rana, roll call. Uh, just, Trustee Banerjee. Aye. <clears throat> Trustee Blue. Aye. Trustee Chapman. Aye. Trustee Fox. Aye. Trustee Friedman. Aye. Trustee Jensen. Aye. Trustee Splendorio. Aye. Motion passes. Thank you. And thanks to everyone for all their hard work again. I am um, going to take a point of order since I am in the chair right now. And um, I've, I've um, had a, um, a discussion briefly with um, presenter with the executive team, and I'm going to propose that the last item on the agenda be postponed until our next meeting. We don't have a closed session, and there is um, something else that some people might want to take a look at. So, um, I, I and I'm going to suggest that, but I also want I also urge trustees if you haven't already done so to read this read the information in the packet. It's it's really striking for what I found very um, gratifying and, and, and what I appreciated really the most of uh, most of the reports in the package tonight, but this report in particular had, it, it just tied in the strategic plan very effectively, I thought. There was, there was discussion of all the areas of strategic plan and how the cardiovascular programming and um, oh, the existing programming and some changes that are proposed will, um, fit into our strategic plan pillar. So uh, if James, um, if you agree with that and you and Mark Kratzky agree, I would postpone this to our next, um, the next board meeting. Agree. Thank you. Yeah. With appreciation for presenters. And um, don't tell Taft I did that, but. So are there any other comments from, from my colleagues or um, from leadership? If not, then we will adjourn to to um, turn on the TV, I guess. <laughs> Go worry. I have it on good authority that it's 86, 83 Boston with 253 left in the third. Oh, oh, oh no, 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 no. I we don't want to know. Some of us are, aren't watching it live. Hey, thanks everyone. Thanks for all your patience. And the presenters, those were wonderful. Really, really interesting and, and excellent report. So we'll see you all soon. Good night. Uh, thank, thank you very much, Tracy. Good night. Good job, Tracy. Bye. Thanks. Great job. Good job, Tracy. Glenn, I'm going to look for your hand more closely in the future. <laughs> <laughs>